Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Every day, millions take to the internet to find love, a date, or just a hookup. While many encounters become exciting new relationships, some become devastating dates with death. I'm about to tell you the story of one such deadly online connection. Welcome to I Met My Murderer Online. I'm Patricia Brown, but you can call me Patches. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. David Messerschmidt was on the fast track to the brightest of futures. A job with a top DC law firm, a loving family, and a beautiful wife. This young man was a rising star. He had a young wife of three years, a condo on Capitol Hill, and a passion for life. But he also carried a secret. Police search the tablet and find an email account he had used recently. That secret would lead him to a plush hotel room and a clandestine meeting. The email responding to Chris's posting that night was from a Chris Sanchez. David told Chris what hotel to meet him at, in what specific room he'd be in, and the time to meet. Some of the reasons that men might risk living a double life include not really being clear on who they are, especially for a lot of high achieving men. They want to explore a different part of their lives and maybe a different part of their identity. In the apartment, investigators find a small knife, not unlike the one used in David's murder. They find black boots and other items similar to those seen on the camera footage. And they find something else very unique to the crime scene. He told his wife that he would be home in an hour, but what he didn't know is that he had already met his murderer online. Washington, D.C. is a city full of politics and secrets, where the local currency is information and people aren't always what they seem to be. David Messerschmidt is a D.C. lawyer working for an international law firm. On the morning of February 9th, 2015, the 30-year-old leaves for work, unaware that it will be the last day he'll see his wife again. David goes off to work like any other day. This is journalist Joe Garner. He tells his wife he'll see her later, but might be a little late. And this, unfortunately, 
was a lie. David worked for a powerful global law firm. This is criminal defense attorney Sarah Azari. Some of their clients are Fortune 500 enterprises. Others are emerging companies with industry-changing technologies. They also consult with multiple foreign governments. They're one of the heavy hitters in D.C. David is young and relatively new to the firm. This young man was a rising star. He had a young wife of three years, a condo on Capitol Hill, and a real passion for life. A man of many talents. David was a drum major in high school, a college athlete at Ohio State, and graduated near the top of his class at Boston University Law. It was actually in college where he met his future wife, a Florida native named Kim Wong. David and Kim were both members of the Ohio State rowing team. She described him as dependable, gentle, and kind, and her best friend. After dating for seven years, they wed in 2012, and by all accounts, were very happy. But David had secrets of his own. David Messerschmidt had called his wife earlier in the day and seemed fine. He usually got home before she did. But around 7 p.m. on February 9th, he texted her that he would be home in an hour. That text would be the last one his wife ever receives from him. The next morning on February 10th, 2015, hotel staff find David Messerschmidt dead. David's body was found face down on the floor in a pool of blood. Several stab wounds were visible on his back. When David didn't come home in an hour like he had texted, his wife began to worry. At 1.50 a.m., she files a missing person report. At 10 a.m. the next morning, his body is found. So investigators definitely had a time frame to work with. Police combed through hotel surveillance videos for any suspicious-looking people entering or leaving a hotel between 7 p.m. and 10 a.m. They find what they're looking for. Authorities don't conclusively say this is the person who's the killer. They just say they are a person of interest. Why was David Messerschmidt killed, and why didn't his wife know he was at a hotel? The hotel was close to both his work and home. David worked at a pretty big law firm that had powerful clients, and it wouldn't be the first time in D.C. a secret meeting had ended in death. Was David working on something that got him killed? When David's body was discovered, he had several visible stab wounds on his back, one so hard it actually fractured a vertebrae. Being stabbed in the back may indicate he knew the killer, feeling comfortable enough to turn his back to the person. Following a homicide, every possible scenario needs to be investigated thoroughly and accurately. It may be a hired hitman or a drug deal gone south or corporate espionage. In D.C., anything is possible. After finding the body, investigators search David's hotel room. On the floor, they find his wallet with his credit cards, but they don't find his phone, the very phone he used to text his wife shortly before his death. The most significant thing missing from the items that authorities find in the room is David's cell phone. The wallet and credit cards were still there. Maybe there was something on the phone that was not to be seen, uncovered information not to be revealed. Police continue to circulate the picture of the mysterious person in the stairwell. The person looks directly into the camera and shifts their eyes right as they're passing by. It's almost as if they wanted to be seen. 
when the person was in the lobby, their head is down, pacing side to side, more nervous than anything. But the look in the stairwell is almost like confidence in what's about to happen. 30-year-old David Messerschmidt was an up-and-coming lawyer in the fast-paced world of Washington, D.C. His body was found stabbed to death in a hotel room. His cell phone was missing and other objects found at the scene puzzled investigators. It was February in D.C., but police find clothing items similar to those might find in a Florida hotel room. Flip-flops, shorts, etc. But it was the other items that police wouldn't expect a married man to have with him. The last few items the police find indicate maybe David was meeting another woman for an affair. Condoms, lube. And it would explain why he was at a hotel without telling his wife. Licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist Kate Balistrieri says there are a variety of reasons men risk leading a double life. Some of the reasons that men might risk living a double life include not really being clear on who they are. Especially for a lot of high-achieving men, they want to explore a different part of their lives and maybe a different part of their identity. So sometimes it can be related to questioning sexuality, but in other times it may be about living on the edge, um, getting away with things, or being able to explore a different kind of sexuality that they may not want to bring forward to their partner. So they've got a lot of different motives. Um, incredibly you know, interesting cases because sometimes they're most attracted to the taboo of what they're doing. And that's the thing that really gets them going. But what about the mystery person in the stairwell? The person didn't look like they were going to be staying a while. No bag, purse, or any briefcase for that matter. Authorities wonder if those items were planted at the scene, made to look like David was having an affair. Without a phone to comb through, investigators want to get a better sense of his digital footprint. David's wife retrieves a tablet David frequently used and gives it to authorities. I'm sure his wife of only three years was just trying to help the police find his killer and get justice for her husband. She couldn't have known what secrets the tablet would ultimately reveal. This was a bombshell piece of evidence. Police search the tablet and find an email account he had used recently. The email, dcguy456 at gmail.com, was linked to accounts registered on hookup sites like Craigslist and Grindr. Grindr is the world's largest social networking app for the LGBT plus community. And it uses GPS positioning to connect with users nearby. David not only had an account, but it appeared that he'd been using it for quite some time. It's possible Kim knew what was going on, but it's more probable that the news of her husband's secret sexuality came completely out of left field. David Messerschmidt had a secret double life. A happily married straight man on the outside, but a closeted gay man meeting other men for one night stands on the inside. Sex therapist Kate Balistrieri says men like David are able to justify having sex with men. Sometimes it's about entitlement, right? This is often the case with folks who have very high powered jobs and they have a double life. They really enjoy getting what they want when they want it. And there's a bit of uh, arousal to getting away with something they're not supposed to have in their lives. Sometimes they make justifications like 
having sex with other men may not be as emotionally involved, or they may justify it as not really an affair because it's not with a woman, for example. Some might justify it and say that they're not really attracted to men. Um, maybe they're more aroused by being humiliated or pushing boundaries or exploring something that seems forbidden. We'll never know why David didn't feel comfortable admitting to the world that he was, at the very least, bisexual. He did grow up in the Midwest, which might have played a role in concealing his sexuality. Or perhaps he felt pressure that it might affect him rising in the ranks of his profession. Whatever it was, you have to feel for his wife, who had to deal with not only the death of her husband, but also the shocking news of his other life. The police now have a possible motive to run down. David had been active on Grinder in the Men Seeking Men section of Craigslist. An affair gone wrong is certainly a motive that police customarily investigate. They have an email address and they follow up on all of his posts and more specifically, the replies he received. On the day David was murdered, he had received a reply to a recent posting. David was to meet this person at the Donovan Hotel between 7 and 7.30 p.m. The message from David's email instructed the person to go to room 400 and the door would be open. We don't know how long David had been meeting men for sex, but you have to wonder why he chose to meet a total stranger in a hotel room instead of a public place first, like the lobby, and then heading up to the room. Physical harm is just one of many risks with these kind of anonymous hookups. Some of the physical risks are pretty pretty obvious. Um, the more partners someone has, the higher risk they have for being the recipient of an STI or passing an STI along. Um, financially, folks can run the risk of being extorted, sexually assaulted. Psychologically, it can actually result in some shame, some fear. Um, all of those things, by the way, can be an accelerant for arousal too. So it can become this vicious cycle for some folks. Um, and emotionally, you know, and they might get really connected to some of the power games that might be at play in these dynamics. Um, they can also start to have a very kind of brittle sense of self that's really shored up by this behavior, by these patterns of behavior, and they can become very irritable when they're trying to maintain that facade within their home life. The Donovan Hotel in D.C. was an iconic boutique hotel and was considered gay-friendly. It was listed on various gay and lesbian travel sites, including worldrainbowhotels.com. The rooftop bar was considered one of the top bars in the area. If David was meeting a male companion, it might have been safer to meet at the picturesque rooftop bar for a drink first. Was this a first-time hookup for David, or had he met his murderer sometime before? We'll find out when I Met My Murderer Online continues. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is I Met My Murderer Online. I'm Patricia Brown. David had seven stab wounds in the front of his body and several in his back. Defense wounds on his hands and arms indicate David tried to fight off his attacker. His hands have zip ties hanging off of them, a key piece of evidence. 
journalist Joe Garner. While police investigate David's secret life, Kim, David's grieving widow, makes a passionate plea for anyone with knowledge to step forward. Psychologist Kate Ballastrieri says it's possible Kim and David maintained a seemingly normal sex life despite David's behavior. Now, having sexual behavior outside of a relationship can actually be really enriching for somebody's primary relationship. But what tends to happen in these cases is the deception actually begins to erode the trust in the marriage. And whether the person's partner really knows it or not, their body knows something is off. And so there can start to become a wedge and things that become omitted turn into bigger, more flagrant lies. And it can be really damaging. You know, it's often the deception that is the most eroding part of a relationship when things like this come to surface. Kim's press conference is very emotional. Criminal defense attorney Sarah Azari. Police offer a reward of $25,000 for information leading to an arrest in the case. As often happens, the police are inundated with tips. And while they might follow up on the leads, they solicit help from Craigslist on the identity behind a reply to one of David's posts. Police get an email address and a name. The email responding to David's posting that night was from a Chris Sanchez. David told Chris what hotel to meet him at, what specific room he'd be in, and the time to meet. David felt confident this would be a quick rendezvous. That's why he texted his wife he would be home in an hour. But David never made it home that night, and police don't find any evidence that a man named Chris Sanchez ever personally met with David. Investigators probe the email address and the Craigslist posting further and find a cell phone associated with the account through PayPal. They followed the trail even further and get a name. And it was not Chris Sanchez. Police trace the cell number associated with the Chris Sanchez email address. To their surprise, they discover that the phone number doesn't belong to a Chris Sanchez at all, but to someone else named Jamira Galman. Jamira Galman is a woman, not a man. Police suspected that a man was supposed to meet with David, but the cell phone number that was associated with the Craigslist account came from a woman. Was there another reason David was meeting an apparent stranger in his hotel room? With this new evidence pointing to Jamira Galman, police obtained another search warrant. They head to Jamira's registered address and begin to search her home. With the evidence they find there, they begin to build their case. In the apartment, investigators find a small knife, not unlike the one used in David's murder. They find black boots and other items similar to those seen on the camera footage. And they find something else very unique to the crime scene, a pack of rainbow-colored zip ties. Authorities arrest Jemira Gullman and charge her with first-degree murder. But why was Jemira there in the first place? And what motive could she have had for killing David Messerschmidt? David Messerschmidt was found murdered in a hotel room just miles from his home. He thought he was going to meet another man for a casual encounter, but instead he met his murderer. Police dig into Jamira's phone and see the emails she sent using the fake email address as Chris Sanchez. But she initially denied any involvement in the murder. How did this young 21-year-old woman get involved with a man seeking men on the internet? 
Jamira Gelman is a graduate of Military Academy High School where she played and excelled in basketball. She was also a trained guard and had aspirations of going into the military. Before police found Jamira, there was ongoing speculation as to the identity of the person in the camera footage. Was the person male or female? Jamira is a five foot 10 girls high school basketball player with short hair. She easily could pass for a man, especially with the baggy coat and pants the person in the footage was wearing. This might have been why it was so hard to initially find her. With David's history on men's hookup sites, police thought they were looking for a man. If her phone number hadn't have been associated with that fake email address, police may have never discovered who she was. The authorities made Jamira sweat it out in the police station. She originally invoked her right to remain silent, but as time went on, the pressure got to her. Maybe the guilt built up in her mind, but she eventually told detectives that she wanted to talk, and the world got to hear the other side of the murder. Jamira tells police it was her in the video footage. She was there to meet David, but not for sex. Jamira says she was there to rob David Messerschmidt. She had no intention of killing him, and when she walked into that hotel room, she brought the zip ties with her to tie him down and rob him. What better way to rob someone than by preying on their secret life? Jamira knew David was meeting a Chris Sanchez in secret. She was going to rob him, hoping he wouldn't call the cops afterwards and air his dirty laundry. Maybe she told David if he didn't give her his money, she would out him and his secret life to the public. If Jamira's story is true, somewhere along the line, the robbery turned into a murder. Jamira tells authorities her plans fell apart when David fought back. Although she only intended to rob him, the fight triggered a flashback to when she had been assaulted years before. She admitted that she pulled out her knife and killed David Messerschmidt. From the sheer number of wounds inflicted on David's corpse, it is clear that whatever triggered Jamira Galman in that hotel room was a powerful force. She stabs him seven times in quick succession. There are defensive wounds to his hands and arms, which really means he tried to fight back. But it wasn't enough. One of the stab wounds entered the liver. But the death blow was dealt when Jamira stabbed David right through the heart. Jamira then tells police that when he fell to the ground, she ran over to him and stabbed him several more times in the back, making sure he was dead. And then... It was over. Just like that. Two people's lives instantly changed. Jamira didn't stick around for anyone else to see her. She quickly rummaged through David's possessions and took the cash out of his wallet, his phone, and his Metro card, which ended up having about $170 on it. $40 in cash and the ability to ride the Metro for a few weeks. That's what armed robbery and murder got her. Jamira Galman was arrested on first-degree murder and the armed robbery of David Messerschmidt. It wasn't long until another was pinned to the crime. Jamira had a live-in girlfriend by the name of Dominique Johnson. This is criminal defense attorney Sarah Azari. She doesn't appear on video in the hotel at all, but police know of this relationship and want to know if Dominique had any involvement in the crime. Dominique Johnson goes to the police station on her own accord. Authorities tell her she is not under arrest and is free to go at any time. Dominique tells police she didn't know anything about the murder. And she leaves, only to come back later that day. She confesses to what she knows. Two days after arresting Jamira for murder and armed robbery, 
Dominique Johnson is arrested and booked on conspiracy to commit robbery. Everyone wants to know why this robbery turned so deadly. Journalist Joe Garner. Jamira tells authorities that when David fought back and grabbed her arm, something inside her snapped. And memories from when she was brutally assaulted as a young girl flooded back and she went crazy. She stabbed wildly at the man until he didn't move anymore. According to Dominique, she didn't want Jamira to commit the robbery, but she's on camera with Jamira buying the zip ties that were left in the hotel room. So clearly she knew an attempted robbery was going to take place. After buying the zip ties with Jamira, Dominique had waited for her girlfriend outside the Donovan Hotel. When Jamira returned, they left together. Although it would take a while for Dominique to learn anything about what happened. When she saw Jamira afterwards, Dominique asked her how it went. It went badly, was the response. Jamira told her about the $40 in cash and the Metro card. And the two took the bus back to their apartment. For the next several weeks, Dominique and Jamira used that stolen Metro card to go to and from work. And how will Jamira and Dominique be charged in the murder of David Messerschmidt? Coming up when I Met My Murderer Online continues. I'm Patricia Brown, and this is I Met My Murderer Online. Jamira and Dominique have admitted their roles in the murder of David Messerschmidt. There will be no trial. The first-degree murder charge was dismissed, and instead, Jamira Galman pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. This was because there was insufficient evidence of planning and premeditation to support first-degree murder. But still, Jamira would be going to prison for a long time. Dominique Johnson also pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit robbery. Months later, a sentencing was held. David Messerschmidt's family and friends wrote letters to the judge in the case. They submitted over 80 pages of emotional stories describing the pain the crime had caused them. Each letter asked for the maximum sentence. Jamira was sentenced to 24 years in prison for second-degree murder. Dominique, who was also charged for her role, was sentenced to six months. All for $40. Because the two suspects pleaded guilty, there was no need for a trial. As such, more details about David Messerschmidt's life didn't need to come to the surface. So we'll never know what his wife knew or how long David had been living his secret life. David must not have felt he was able to publicly admit to who he really was. And according to licensed psychologist Kate Balistrieri, David could have taken steps to avoid his risky, in this case deadly, double life. When people find themselves in this situation, going to therapy can be a wonderful way to try and work through the underlying urges um, and the reasons for those urges. Many times behavior like this is compelled by entitlement that is usually connected to other mental health conditions. But it's also rooted in trauma very frequently. And so getting to the core of what compels some of these behaviors can help people redirect their energy into honest and healthy ways of being in their lives. They don't have to hide big parts of themselves. So therapy can be a huge source of accountability, but also can be a path through. And for a wife who suspects her husband is living a double life, Balistrieri says it's important to protect yourself 
Well, to any partners who think that their their spouse or their partner might be engaging in a double life or this kind of behavior, I think there are a couple of things that are really important. One, I think it's really key to establish a sense of safety. If there are any safety risks in the home, I would recommend beginning to work with a therapist who is specifically trained in this kind of betrayal trauma um, immediately so you can get a lot of support. You know, for better or for worse, a lot of times when we go to friends and family, they're biased and they want our relationships to work out. And they might not understand the things that partners are seeing. So they're easier to explain them away or justify them. They're trying to be supportive. But that kind of behavior can actually create some pressure for the partner to look the other way. So I recommend working with somebody who is a neutral, trusted party outside of your immediate circle so that you really can't figure out what support you need and create a plan to bring that communication forward to your partner and talk to them about it if there's safety in doing so. And if not, finding an exit strategy that makes sense for you and and for the children if there are any. This was a case where a lesbian woman posed as a man so she could rob a closeted gay man. Think about that for a minute. She used David's sexuality against him. And I think it really puts a spotlight on a hidden part of humanity that we, as a society, need to devote some energy to. If his community had allowed David to be who he was, would he have felt the need to sneak around? Unfortunately, we'll never know. Despite his extramarital affairs, David Messerschmidt didn't deserve his ending, bleeding to death alone in a hotel room. His case and others like it prove just how deadly the internet is, where people can be whoever they want, and that complete strangers answering a personal ad might be meeting their murderer online. Police files are filled with the names of victims whose only crime was trusting someone on the internet. Sidney Loof, Cody Virgin, Tiara Poole, David Messerschmidt, and so many others found predators who took advantage of the anonymity the internet provides. For all of the convenience of our connected world, these stories remind us that the same convenience can come at a price. I'm Patricia Brown, but you can call me Patches.